0: This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? This is the Decibel Geek Podcast
1: with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, folks, welcome back. We're back, back in time. That's right, it's time for part two of the Decibel Geek Podcast presents Year in Review 1987. What a good time we had with the first one, but we're back for part two. I'm Aaron Camaro. Joining me, as always, my partner in crime here at the podcast, uh, Decibel Geek style every single week, Chris Zinzak. How's it going, man? It's going great. I had a good time last week with 87. Very informative. A lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I did, too. We had some good feedback on that. And then, of course, you know, since we only did half the year, we had people, why didn't you play this? And why didn't you play that? I kind of
1: expected that, you know, because there's a lot when you only cover half the year. That means we left the whole other half of the year out. And I was thinking, oh, there's going to be a ton of people going, you didn't play this. mm -hmm. You left that out. But like you said, just be patient. We're back today for part two.
2: And we'll hopefully satisfy most of you, but you can't please everybody. There's a lot of music released in a year's time, so uh, and only so much time we have to uh, record this stuff.
1: Yeah, I think we got a pretty good grasp on it, though. I don't think we're going to leave too many people out.
2: Yeah, before we get into things, though, we got a few uh, business items we got to take care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us who the Geek of the Week is this week.
1: All right. Our Geek of the Week this week is Rob Simmons. He's from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. No, no relation to the demon, I don't think. I don't think so. Um, he found our show through MelodicRock.com, mm-hmm. and the dude loves it.
2: Yeah, that, I want if anyone from Melodic Rock is listening, I really want to thank you because that, that site has, without fail, Every time I release a press release or anything, they always put a link up on that site and it's brought a lot of traffic to our show. And
1: it's a great website, Very you know, good you site. want to get your uh, your rock news, you know, get it fast, get it fresh, you know, get a good take on everything. Melodicrock.com is a great place to do just that.
2: Yeah, so Rob, thanks for jumping on board. Hope you uh, go back and listen to the back catalog and continue to listen and uh, enjoy being geek of the week. Enjoy that Monopoly money we're sending you and uh, <laughs> and uh, Don't the, forget the glory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And if you're listening on uh, MaximumThreshold.net, it is Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and uh, glad to have you on the show. And if you uh, never want to miss an episode, just subscribe through iTunes, search Decibel Geek, and you can find us every week, uh, usually around Wednesday, Thursday, you know, at the latest. And
1: it's free.
2: Free every week. Uh, got a lot of new writers uh, on board uh, and the regular writers we have, Wally is doing a great job heading up the website the websites just
1: popping lately
2: yeah and uh, they're the the writers are releasing articles that tie in with the theme of the week that we're doing on the show so that's it's all it's like synergy
1: yeah Wally rich Brian Andrew J Alexander the whole crew over there mm-hmm. taking care of the website for us and uh you know we take care of this end with the show every week yeah but take your time you know talking about rock websites that are great for your news and you know the desktop geek podcast is more, I think, like personal experience stories. You know, these guys yeah. are going out getting interviews, you know, and they're all like us. You know, they love hard rock and heavy metal, and so like us, that's why they're doing it. Yeah. So the articles are always real insightful. Yeah. I, that's what I really enjoy about our website's articles and our writers is how insightful they all are.
2: And I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the website address?
1: It's www.dbgeekshow.blogspot.com.
2: Very good, man. Thank you. <laughs> uh, one last item of business for self-promotion. Uh, Aaron and I ha- were recently interviewed by Furies Magazine, and you can find that at, let me get the website address right, furiesmag.com. Yeah, and, that
1: was pretty fun.
2: Uh, want to thank Liz Kelly Zook for featuring us and doing an interview with us, and uh, check that magazine out for a lot of fashion and music uh, info, and uh, appreciate her taking the time out to talk to us.
1: Yeah, it was pretty cool when she... Uh, they were looking for people to interview, and I talked to her, and uh, she told me right away that she wasn't familiar with Decibel Geek Podcast, but she listened to it and really dug it. And she said, even if nobody else from the website you know, <laughs> comes to your show, you've gained one more loyal listener. So thank you, Liz. So we're up
2: to three now. We're up to awesome. three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so, my buddy um,
1: Eddie up in Wisconsin, who I pay to subscribe. Oh, very cool. <laughs> okay. is not checks, dead. Checks in the mail, buddy.
2: Exactly. So I guess we need to uh, get the DeLorean started up, though. Fire
1: it up. Get it up to 87 miles an hour because that's where we're going, 1987.
0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall.
1: You don't want to give everybody the wrong idea by des- starting out the Decibel <laughs> Geek podcast with that, right? No,
2: but we're doing a year interview, so you got to You have to pay attention to what you know. What happened in the year, and uh, Michael Jackson's bad album was certainly a big part of that year. Oh,
1: it was huge. Michael Jackson ruled the world back then,
2: and he was still black. Well, he was starting. He was starting to yeah, change. It was starting he was caramel. He looked, yeah, <laughs> slightly butterscotched back then yeah. in '87. Yeah. <laughs> And who can forget the wonderful parody that Weird Al did called Fat. Yeah, that one's
1: that's pretty funny. I like Weird Al better than Michael Jackson.
2: But yeah, and of course the, uh, the little audio clip there you heard was Ronald Reagan doing the Tear Down This Wall speech at the Brandenburg Gate. Uh, he was addressing uh, Mikhail Gorbachev leader yeah. of Russia at the time, and as we knew, the Berlin Wall wound up falling later on, so that was a very pivotal uh, speech.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty big deal back then.
2: Yeah, we don't get political, but you know, that was a big deal. That it was, year. So, it really yeah. was. But uh, Michael Jackson's Bad, it was his first studio album after Thriller, which was the best selling album of all, of all time. All time. Uh, this album would produce five number one singles in the U.S., a record which to this day has not been broken.
1: That's so. Michael Jackson. You know, to me personally, while all the Michael Jackson craziness was going on, you know, in the years before he passed away, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening are like me that just didn't get it, you know, but mm-hmm. you know, it's like. Who's buying all these albums? But Michael Jackson was a guy that. He appealed to a mass yeah. difference of everybody. people, you know. Yeah, so uh, everybody kind of got into Michael oh, Jackson.
2: I, I had a cassette copy of this. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, well, there's a Slash appears on "Dirty Diana." Right. I mean, he, Michael Jackson was still very much he was very much a rock and roll person even back at that time. But you know, aside from all the nuttiness, the bubbles, the chimp, and the sleeping in the deprivation chamber and all that <laughs> stuff, I mean, this is ba- he was still a very vital recording artist at this time. Right. And um, he was huge. And if you weren't, if you were a kid back then you couldn't escape michael jackson he was probably the biggest thing in the world so oh absolutely
1: uh, you know and and it's talking about michael jackson like you said 45 million albums sold i mean that's that's something on that right there and then mm -hmm. on top of that on the bad album there were five number one singles yeah there was only one song on the entire album that wasn't released as a single I mean, it's an album of singles, all of them. Yeah, I
2: I listened to it quite a bit, and then uh, crazy. That was released on August 31st, also in August, which we're into August now for '87. Def Leppard released Hysteria, which you want to talk about landmark albums? Yeah, Hysteria was was awesome. It was the longest rock album ever released as a single LP or cassette. Wow. Without it becoming a double album, so um, Hmm. huge album was flying off the shelves, and um, back when Def Leppard still rocked. Yeah, they did. I mean, I you know, I, I I dig the first couple albums the most from them. Yeah, me too. But I will say, Hysteria at its time, and this is, you know, I go back to the same argument I've made, is going back and listening to the stuff from 87, is it sounded so fresh and awesome at the time. Right. It doesn't necessarily age well later. It's like it ends up sounding too much of that time. Right. Not timeless. You it's know, got well. that
1: kind of cheesiness well, to it almost. and, then, you, you know, you, you can't it's blame... It's like stereotypical of the 80s. Well,
2: you can't blame... You know Rick Allen for losing his arm, but at right. the same which you know everyone knows that clip we play. But um, th- you know he he had to end up do using a robotic drum kit. So I mean if anyone gets a pass, it's him. Right. But but it did change their sound.
1: Stevie Clark's still killing it on this album.
2: Yeah, he was great, and the, you know, and there, in the, you know, and this as like uh, Michael Jackson's bad. This album was like a greatest hits album on its own. Right. Not very many songs were not released as singles. Um, here's one that I that I thought was pretty good that didn't get any radio play, and this is off of the hysteria album. This is a song called Run Riot.
1: When it comes to albums from that genre, from that, that time in 87, it's the, like we said before in, in the first episode of 87, mm-hmm. it's the polishness of it. It's mm-hmm. the, how squeaky, clean the sound is. Yeah. And, you know, for rock, like we said before, it's supposed to be dirty, mean, nasty rock mm-hmm. and roll. Yeah, You know, so when you over polish it like that, it kind of takes away the the soul of rock a little bit. But back, you know,
2: and it's funny because back then that's what I wanted. I don't know, but I'm speaking I was speaking from the standpoint of an 11 year old just getting into rock.
1: And yet today you're not a nickel nickelback fan. Hmm.
2: I have to. I have a small confession to make.
1: Oh, 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 really? This ought to be good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Stop the presses. You, Listen, I bring up Nickelback. You're yeah. getting a little flush in the face. Turning let's, a little red over there. Let's let's, let's let's. What is this? Let's
2: come out of 87 for just a second. Okay, this just needs, just for a second. Now, it's not a big confession, but. <laughs> Victor, our friend from Mars Attacks Radio, who's always constantly trying to convert me into a Nickelback fan, uh-huh. he actually sent me a link to like their their YouTube page or something saying because they're going to release some new ballad or something. Yeah. and Which, you know, no news there, a ballad from Nickelback right. would have shock. But I was like, well, let me go ahead and click through onto the YouTube page and just look. And they had a song on there, which I hadn't heard before because I don't listen to the radio anymore, but it's a song that was released a few months ago called This Means War. Have uh-huh. you heard this one? I think so. I didn't want to strangle them after hearing it. Nice. I didn't love it, but I didn't want to kill them. So that's progress, I guess.
1: Right. And I was thinking about that kind of when we were talking last week about 1987 and how big Bon Jovi is. Mm -hmm. We kind of talked about like (laughs) bands that begat other bands. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Bon Jovi for 87 is to nickel back today. I think there's a lot of similarities between the popularity Mm. and the, the slick overproduction of it.
2: I see your point but and I'm the fact
1: to... that it was they were a rock band at heart yeah but then they became so you know I don't want to say tainted but yeah tainted by you know their own success yeah that they kind of became different than maybe what the original vision was I bet you if you went back and listened to some really early uh Nickelback there's probably some really good stuff on there
2: yeah, I'm not ready to go. I'm no. not. I'm ready to take that leave. <laughs> We're not ready
1: for that yet. Okay, that's all right. But yeah, you you know, know, baby steps, my yeah, friend. I'm baby so, steps. We'll get you what, there. What are you going to try to convert me now? I'm not the biggest Nickelback fan either, but you know what? I don't really listen to him so it's hard for me to say. You know, I know what I hear on the radio constantly, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and everywhere else. And so to me, it's too much. And it makes me not want to like it. Okay, good. So but (laughs) that doesn't say that they don't deserve to be liked or if we actually sat down one day and gave them a real chance, maybe we'd be, you know, say, hey.
2: Nickelback's not bad. You're fired. Okay. So let's get back to the uh let's get back to the uh, back Quick, in, uh, quick back since this to 87. Is, since this is your we'll last back, episode. We'll let's go back to this. 87 before okay. you fired me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well played, my friend. Okay. Nice. Other August releases, not Nickelback. Uh Loudness no. releases Hurricane Eyes. Twisted Sister to release Love is for Suckers.
1: Love is for Suckers is kind of a funny album because again, in, it's 1987 and it's always you know, it sounds like it's poppy and slick and the Bon Jovis and the Def Leppards are ruling the world right now as far as hard rock goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, twisted Sister kind of goes along that road on this album a little bit. There's one song on there, I think it's called Wake a Sleeping Giant, which is like a classic heavy Twisted Sister song, mm-hmm. but the rest of it's all kind of keyboardy, cheesy kind of 1987 yeah, I had, type I had, stuff.
2: I had lost track of them by that point, yeah. personally. But uh, And then Metallica released the $5.98 EP, Garage Days Re-Revisited.
1: Which is the total opposite (laughs) of what we were talking about with Def Leppard and Twisted Sister. This
2: is good raw stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. It don't get much more raw than this, but so heavy, so cool. When this album came out, I mean, it really, it was cool because you got an inside look at these other tracks that Metallica had done and that, Mm -hmm. you know, not a lot of people had gotten to hear. Yeah. And so then when it was released, and it's cheaper than other cassettes and CDs, You know, it's everybody had it. You know, it sold a ton, and it really did a lot for kicking off thrash metal.
2: Yeah, and, and I, when I said $5.98 EP, I didn't mean that that's just what it costs. That's what the name of it is.
1: That is also the name, yeah.
2: Although most people just call it Garage Days.
1: Right, but that was like the suggested retail price. Yeah. They, they put it right on, name, basically named the album that so that, you know, stores couldn't go around trying to charge more for it. That's course, pretty cool Metallica and, well, back and, then.
2: And nowadays, if they did that, people would be like, what, it's not 99 cents on iTunes? What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, yeah. You
1: know? Well, nowadays, You know, it's it's a lot more Metallica versus the fans. It seems like a lot. It's it's been that way ever since. You know, basically since, you know, the load and reload albums mm-hmm. came out. But back then, you know, look at what they're doing for the fans. They're yeah. making sure you're not getting ripped off at your local Walmart or Pomita or Shopco or wherever <laughs> it is you're buying your cassette tapes well, at in nineteen eighty seven.
2: And this was only five tracks and you wanted to play one from this one. Which one did you pick? Oh
1: yeah. What did we pick off this one? I lost my notes. You picked cra- <laughs> <laughs> Any <laughs> the, one of them's good. Just the bu- play something. This is the budgie cover, Crash Course oh, and Brain yeah. Surgery.
2: <laughs> I do, too. And Love it. And, you know, they knew how to pick good covers. Metallica always has. Yeah, and, they did. And Budgie is a great band, as we've mentioned in previous we've episodes. Pl- we've played Budgie yeah, on this show. Budgie's a very underrated group. We should play more of their stuff in the future. I agree. Um, also, in, uh, released in August, Midnight Oil released Diesel and Dust. A lot of people don't remember that, but if you remember the bald Australian dude with the high voice. The song,
1: the Beds Are Burning beds song. Beds Are Burning. Yeah, that was huge back then. I mean, that was on MTV. The video All came the up time. like every five minutes it was up um i've got one that was uh we'll have to save this for our next bizarro covers but i got a band called sinner mm-hmm. doing a cover of that on my on my oh, uh, really? ipod and that. they rock it out man huh. and it's really you don't think about what a cool song it was then until they really crank up the distortion on it and then you say wow this really had potential to be a metal tune
2: they were one of those bands that was just sort of here today and gone tomorrow like yeah. they, they, they were huge for a few minutes and then just gone
1: yeah back to australia and way. then uh,
2: jane's addiction released their first album in uh, august of 87 yeah and aerosmith released permanent vacation their comeback album
1: they're back they're off drugs they're all cleaned up and this is what you get
2: yeah and they uh permanent vacation was huge obviously with dude looks like a lady being the first big hit off of that yeah and then um angels like you know we've mentioned we've had people say don't ever do a power ballads episode <laughs> if we did one Angel would definitely be on there, because that, that's a well-written power ballad. Yeah, it is. It's uh, bluesy. and um,
1: Janie's got a gun off that one as well? Yeah. No, no, Dr- that's the next that, album. That's, that's the next. right. That's right. Yeah, Angels. This, You're right. That's what I was thinking. Right. Ragdoll was on the album. Ragdoll, that's it. This is
2: when they started working with Desmond Child on a few songs also. It shows. Yeah, it shows. They, it was because a, they,
1: they went from being, like a, like you said, a, yeah, a, a dirty, nasty, tough rock band you know, until they... Basically, just couldn't physically do it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody gets cleaned up. They come back with this album. You can tell the Desmond Child influence on it yeah, because they... it's very poppy. And the amount of money they made off it, off the singles, the charting of all the singles, mm-hmm. it shows that you know, in '87, that works.
2: Yeah, all three singles released uh, charted in the top twenty, and um, it was first Aerosmith album to attain both silver and gold certification by the British Phonographic Industry and um the album's title later referenced in the song amazing on get a grip although this album is much better than get a grip in my opinion
1: yeah because when they came back with this one and the thing about it is is as many times as you've heard you know dude looks like a lady or rag doll or angel you know as Mm -hmm. overplayed as those songs are the backtracks on this one are really good
2: yeah and this is this is probably my favorite from the album for as far as the, the other the deeper cuts this is the title track
0: Listen to the Decibel Geek Podcast on your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, and WebOS phones with Stitcher. Stitcher's smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher smart radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. He's Buds McKenzie, Bud Light's original party
3: animal. Go, go! Go, go!
2: Yeah, welcome back. Pink Floyd, Learning to Fly. So mellow. That was a huge album that year, Momentary, Momentary Lapse of Reason. It was their first album after the uh, legal battle with Roger Waters.
1: Yep, that was the year the world cracked in half for Pink Floyd <laughs> fans. The Civil War began.
2: It was really the first, uh, I mean, I remember hearing The Wall, because my parents would play it on the radio, but you know, I never really connected it with Pink Floyd. Yeah. But this album was the first time I really became aware of Pink Floyd, and uh the tour for this grossed $135 million worldwide and uh, was only equaled by the earnings of Michael Jackson and U2 combined. That's how big that tour was. People
1: love them some Pink Floyd. And you know, in Pink Floyd, they deliver the goods in concert, you know, still mm-hmm. to this day. Yeah, They're all different versions of what they got going on. Whether it's Roger Waters' solo or Pink Floyd themselves, um, you know, they've their reputation as one of the best live shows a guy can see Mm -hmm. you know whether you're really into Pink Floyd or not you're going to see some pretty amazing stuff at a concert
2: yeah and very good musicianship you know a very very solid band
1: yeah Uh, I mean it's pretty wild to be able to come back after you know losing Roger Waters and come back with such a huge album after that and, you know, you talk to somebody who's a big Pink Floyd fan and, you know, you're either a David Gilmore guy or you're a Roger Waters guy. And, yeah. if, and I mean, they'll Rod, David Gilmore guys, they get upset, you know, because <laughs> I talked to a guy one time and he's like, yeah, oh, man, I love Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd. I'm like, hey, you know, I always like the old Roger Waters stuff. And he looked at me like I, you know, said I can't like I can't believe you just said that, you know, yeah. you, you disgust me, you know, kind of a thing, you know, and it's like, hey, man, I just like the Roger Waters stuff. He killed Pink Floyd. You know uh, they could have been so much more if he would have never been involved. And it's like, hey man, take it easy. You
2: know, I'm not. Uh, I still I'm, think
1: Kiss is better than Floyd. And then watch them freak out. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not enough of a diehard Floyd fan. I like them both. I mean, I, I like yeah. I like both eras of the group. But yeah, me uh, too. Pink Floyd, known for a humongous st- staging with lighting and stuff, and we go from that to a band with about as minimal as it gets, but a band that definitely rocks live. We're talking oh, about yeah. Motorhead.
1: They don't need all the bells and whistles. They've got exactly. Exactly what they need to kick ass. Well, they've got Lemmy. They got Lemmy. That's all you need, right? I think so. That's like if you're putting together your rock and roll business plan, all you need is Lemmy in place, and the rest will follow.
2: Yeah. So we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about September of '87. Uh, the Pink Floyd album released September seventh. The Motorhead released Rock and Roll on September fifth.
1: Two bands that did not tour together in '87.
2: That would be an interesting tour. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, the the rock and roll album, pretty good album. Um, I, yeah. like I said, I've mentioned before, I'm late to the party as far as Motorhead goes, so I'm uh, discovering a lot of this stuff for the first time. I just you didn't know, pay and attention
1: I'm noticing then. that Motorhead is rapidly becoming the most overplayed band on our show now. It used to be Anthrax, it was Anthrax, but Anthrax now they're getting a lot of play with, here. You know, because when you do these year in review shows, yeah. Motorhead comes out with an album every year, so every year, <laughs> every year on the on the year in review show we do, you can pretty much guarantee there's probably going to be some Motorhead on there.
2: Yeah, and you know the the main song that was probably the biggest from this album is "Eat the Rich," which oh, yeah. is a very awesome song. But you've heard that one, a, a, you know, a million times. So I wanted to play uh, the third track from the album. This is a track called "Blackheart." <laughs>
1: The band with the best work ethic in rock and roll, kicking them out every single year, including 1987, Motorhead.
2: Yeah, and that was the uh, first album that the band did as a four-piece. Yeah. Yeah, they had, uh, you had Lemmy, you had Phil Campbell on guitar, you had uh, Phil, Filthy Animal Taylor on drums, and Wurzel.
1: Yeah, the late Wurzel.
2: Uh, Rush re- and it released Hold Your Fire in 87 in September, and then the the big story of the year for us metalheads was Jethro Tull releasing Crest of a Knave.
1: Travesty.
2: What do you mean? It was the best hard rock heavy metal album for the Grammys, right?
1: Travesty befalls the Grammy Awards in <laughs> nineteen eighty seven when Jeff Rotel is awarded the best metal performance of the year over Metallica. Yeah. Can you believe that? I mean I remember watching that <laughs> I remember and just being too. being appalled. Yeah.
2: It was a big what the fuck moment.
1: Was that the same year Guns N' Roses got on stage all drunk and swearing and stuff?
2: I think so. Yeah, because Appetite for Destruction was brand new. Yeah, I
1: remember watching that with my dad, you know, and then, like, it went from, you know, Metallica losing to Jethro Tull, and it's just like, what the hell's going on here, to Guns N' Roses going up and doing that, and I'm just like, wow, that is so cool, and my dad's just shaking his head, just like, I can't believe they let that on TV. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well,
1: like, man, that's awesome.
2: And then one of my favorite quotes from a Grammy Awards is a few years later when Metallica finally won the award, and... Lars Ulrich got up and said, I guess it's a good thing Jethro Jethro Tull didn't release an album this year, right? Yeah, that's funny. I like (laughs) it.
1: It's clever, and it's sticking sticking it to him, which... It's still, I, it blows my mind even to think back on it now. How can that? How can this be? It just shows how clueless award shows are. Yeah, the Grammy Awards, way to go, guys. <laughs> well, still, still catching hell in 2012 over that. Yeah, that happened in 1987. People don't forget that shit. That was out of line.
2: We're happy to keep the outrage alive. That's right. You
1: deserve <laughs> it. <laughs> well,
2: one band that definitely hasn't won a Grammy, but a band that uh, a lot of people seem to like is Lizzie Borden.
1: I love Lizzie Borden. I checked out Lizzie Borden when I was young. My uncle Bruce had the had the album. Uh, of it i think he had like a double live album mm-hmm. and then from there i was just hooked you know lizzie borden a band that's heavy they rock lizzie borden kind of like uh i was trying to explain to my wife who lizzie borden was and i just said he's kind of like the poor man's ozzy osbourne he's mm-hmm. like the the poor man the poor american the osbourne yeah. yeah
2: and i i mean i remember lizzie borden mostly from the uh, Decline of Western Civilization Part yep. Two movie, and for for years all I all I knew was their cover of Born to Be Wild because I never really got a chance to listen to the stuff. Yeah, but I've I've given it a shot lately, and there's some pretty good stuff there. I and gotta, he's still around. You know? I,
1: yeah, they're still around, still putting out new music. Uh, you guys check it out on iTunes. Lizzie Borden alive and kicking. Here's one you got to check this out. This one you want to crank up extra loud. I love this song. It's Lizzie Borden with Me Against the World. It's just me. You gotta love those killer gang vocals coming a, at you in 1987 style.
2: That's a great song. It is a great. I mean, song. I, I that I mean that's some seriously overlooked music. right I'm there.
1: telling you, Lizzie Borden does great not voice. get the credit he deserves. I mean, and nowadays, looking back, back then, yeah, he, yeah, killer voice, great you know, voice, great um, band.
2: Lead guitarist Joe Holmes, who played with Ozzy for a little while. That's right. I mean that. Check that stuff out. That's pretty I'm good stuff.
1: You. Lizzie Borden is really good, and most people probably don't even know who he is. No. Sad. And one of these days on Radio Sucks Radio Show, we'll have to play some of his new yeah. stuff because he's still putting out some killer music.
2: Great set of pipes there. Yeah, I'm telling you. Um well, one of my favorite bands is the Ramones, who released an, al- an album in September of 87. Uh, they released the Halfway to Sanity album, not one of their better records. Yeah,
1: the Ramones are kind of starting to peter out a little bit at this well, point. Well, uh, huh?
2: yeah, not starting to, really. Yeah. Yeah, it, was a, it was a rough era for them. Although, you know, Pet Cemetery" was a pretty good track. No, not on this album, but... Uh, uh, th- you know, and a lot of the songs on this are not that great. It was the last album they did with uh, Richie Ramon playing drums for them mm-hmm. um, before Marky came back. And I think it's one of the last albums that Dee Dee was on. Um, it's okay, but it was just like they were. You could tell they were just kind of lost at that point. Yeah. But I will say that
1: the uh, so where does the Ramones fit in in a Casio happy Bon Jovi it was a, ruled world? Yeah.
2: I mean, they were. It was that it was an era not tailor made for them. No, it's know. not
1: like the Ramones could you know say, hey, we're going to add a keyboard player and go for a big pop single. You know. Well, the fans would just.
2: They went for the big pop single in the late seventies, you know, with "End of the Century," and you know, which I like that stuff. I like it when I like. I'm more of a Joey guy than a Johnny guy. I like like the early stuff that was hard edge too, but I'm more of the uh, Joey was a big fan of the old Motown era, and you know, he wanted to bring that element into the punk a little more soulful. Yeah, and I like that era better, which is why I picked this song. This is the opening track. This is "I Want to Live." I dig that song, and one thing I, you know, I want to, don't want to go on a huge tangent about the Ramones, but one thing, if you really go back, if you've never seen the End of the Century documentary, you really, really should check it out, even if you're not a Ramones fan, because it gets you. That documentary is what got me into the band because the story is so compelling of you know what they've gone through. Yeah. Um, especially all the tension between the members of the band. Um, Johnny and Joey hated each other basically from 1980 all the way to the end, and it was like rarely spoke. They'd travel in these tight buses and never talk to each other.
1: Can you imagine being in a band situation like that with somebody, mm-hmm. and then it's you know, having to sit across from them, having to all the time. You know, you you have to you know. Get along with this well, person enough to carry on, but deep down, you know the guy hates your guts. Yeah,
2: I mean they they really hated each other, and it was just and it was sad. And like you can, if you really pay attention to Joey's lyrics from those years, it's just it's heart wrenching reading some of this. And Joey Ramon was just one of the most tragic characters in rock history. Yeah, I mean you could tell he was he always felt he was an outcast. He was different. And, you know, as much success as he had, you could tell he was a very lonely person. And, like, that you can, there's a lot of alienation in the lyrics of the Ramon stuff. Like, oh, for a, sure. A lot of people are like, oh, it's just three-chord punk, you know, mindless stuff. But no, I mean, listen to the lyrics that he wrote. I mean, the guy was a tormented soul if there ever was one. And, um, but yeah, I mean, but as many great memories as they gave us, boy, there's, a, there's a, quite a story behind that band for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely worth checking out that uh, documentary.
2: Yeah, so um all right now well now now we're into the kiss section of the show. Oh yeah. Kiss released Crazy Nights on September eighteenth of nineteen eighty
1: seven. Probably my least favorite KISS album.
2: This is the album that made me fall in love with Kiss. <laughs> it shows how we're different. And um I'm I'm proud to say it because I mean I, I like the melodic rock of the late eighties and you know, and it, it it overall has not aged well. Yes,
1: don't get me wrong. When it came out, I loved it. Well,
2: and I, you know, it's embarrassing for me to admit, but you know, the song that got me into Kiss was "Reason to Live," the ballad off of it. It was on MTV. For shame. Well, you know, I was into Poison before Kiss, so like it was a natural at least i moved up hey but there's some know? other
1: really great songs on that album there are there's a lot of there's <laughs> besides some, reason to live and
2: i think the there's a couple oh. of paul songs that still sound okay today but most of paul stuff did not age well jean's actually aged much better
1: right because jean still had you know it was still rock songs but then you got to remember at this time Gene really wasn't too involved in the kiss machine i mean no, he's out in hollywood no. um the trick or treat movie comes out in 86. Yeah, so they were. And mm-hmm. Wanted Dead or Alive comes out in 87. Yeah,
2: he was very busy. So. Malak
1: al Rahim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, what a horrible movie. I liked him a lot better as Nuke.
2: And was it, which one was it where, which one was it with Rutger Hauer? Was that Wanted Dead or Alive? That's but, Wanted Dead or Alive. Dead or Alive yeah, yeah, the scene where he's got the uh, grenade in his mouth. And yeah. Rutger Hauer says, fuck the bonus and pulls the pen out. Blows his yeah. head out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's the wild. only only redeemable scene in that movie.
1: So while Gene Simmons on vacation, they bring in a guy named uh, Phil Ashley. And Phil Ashley has a Casio. So he
2: did the keyboard parts yeah. on this album? Yeah. And he was Ron,
1: like the fifth member of KISS well, in 1987.
2: And Ron Nevison produced the album, which... Um, for those that don't know, he Ron Nevison was on a hot streak as a producer back in eighty in the eighties. Uh, he did the Ultimate Sin album for Ozzy, which yielded some top ten hits, and then obviously the Bad Animals album from Heart. He was responsible for that. He was kind of known for resuscitating classic rock acts
1: and adding synthesizer right. to it. Well,
2: you know, it worked for those other Cheesy artists, and and I think. Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons were like, "Well, it's working for these other acts. Why don't we give it a shot?"
1: If Bon Jovi's doing it, that's we exactly should do it too. what
2: was going on. Yep. The, the, the The Kiss was following everything Bon Jovi and Def Leppard did, and they were trying to, they were trying to ride a trend. I hate to say it, but yeah, it's true. it's
1: it's the truth. And you listen to the album Crazy Nights; you, it's easy to see.
2: But there's some good songs on here, though.
1: There are. There are some really good songs. What do we got lined up for this one?
2: Well, this is your pick. You don't remember?
1: No, I told you. I
2: lost my notes, oh, so yeah, I'm just yeah, kind
1: of yeah. going with the flow here. <laughs> <laughs> this That's how it, professional I am today. Well,
2: this is one of the Gene songs that has aged well. This song's called Hell or High Water. Oh, yeah.
0: Want to be a member of the Decibel Geek Army? You slimy scumbag, get on your face and give me 25. Join us on our fan page at facebook.com slash decibel geek. Got a question, comment, request, or legal threat? Call us on our voicemail hotline at 540-DB-GEEK-1. That's 540-324-3351.
3: One Jump Street is brought to you by Mattel. Look for the Mattel toy. You're not fully clean unless you're fully clean. Make it early, make it late. Pizza hug, make it great. Okay.
0: Live and direct from Midland, Texas, Jessica McClure is up. She's alive. What a fighting.
2: We're back. Who can forget uh, that? If you were around in '87, you remember Baby Jessica.
1: You damn right you do, because it was such a big deal in '87. You know, and I'm talking about like I was about 12 years old in '87. I remember this vividly mm-hmm. because it was such a huge thing. The kid fell down in the well. She was a little girl. I don't. I don't. I don't she was young. I don't she know. She was, was like, like a, a toddler. A toddler.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Fell down a few, like, a in a well. Old.
1: And uh, it was a pretty big rescue effort to get her out, but, you know, miraculously, they did. They got her out, yeah, and she, she was, was fine.
2: She was down there for two days. and That's um, wild. And the, yeah,
1: that's what it was, because it was two days. That's why it the, was such a big deal. And
2: the, the reports coming from where she was singing songs to herself to keep herself company. Well, she was they, singing
1: "Crazy Nights." I don't think so. It was re- it was revealed <laughs> my way. a few years later on that the reason she jumped in the well to begin with was, was she heard to crazy escape nights? the U two. Oh, geez. she heard some oh, U two playing and just God. ran away.
2: <laughs> Got to find a nice quiet place <laughs> to sing some "Crazy Nights" to myself. <laughs> 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 but yeah, that was it was a big deal and it was all over national television. I, yeah. re- I remember the night they pulled her out. Um, it was me and my buddy were trading baseball cards in my bedroom and watching it on TV. I remember, remember watching it. it
1: with my parents and they pulled her out and it was just like It was very emotional. Yeah, it was it was one of those things cuz like you said there wasn't a lot going on in 87, mm. you know, tragically in the world like there is like every other week now. Yeah. You know, so everything was pretty mellow so when this happened it really captured the whole nation, pulled everybody together because everybody wanted to see this poor little kid after 2 days be brought out of the well and be safe. And, you know, it was cool. They show the diagrams on TV Mm -hmm. about different ways they were digging in and, you know, all the different ways they were trying to get her out. And after two days... You know, it was like the whole nation had a huge sigh of relief, and it was kind of a good feeling after all that. That one little tragedy in Texas, like that, really pulled the whole country together. It
2: did. It was. It was very memorable. If if if, you know, I know some of you listening to this are having vivid memories of where you were when this happened. It was one of those things where you don't forget where you were when it happened.
1: Right. And in uh, comparison today, you know, tragedies happen all the time. Yeah. There's so there's so many tragedies happening nowadays that you know Jessica McClure today could fall in a well. Ten times a week, and it would never make the news.
2: I mean, it would make it, but it'd it'd just be a small story. It'd be
1: buried underneath all the other crazy bullshit going on in 2012. Yeah. Let's stay here in 87 where it's safe. Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) That sounds good to me. Um, Well, as we had mentioned in part one, Motley Crue released Girls, Girls, Girls in uh, 87.
1: Oh, the only thing not safe is our virgin ears and Motley Crue and our virgin eyes and not being able to watch Mm. certain videos.
2: Yeah, because they released the song You're All I Need as a single. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of you will not remember this song being released as a single because MTV refused to play the video and radio stations wouldn't play the song either.
1: Well, and it's a great song, but it's a very deep subject matter. Well,
2: it's... um. It was praised by John Bon Jovi as the best ma- ballad Motley Crue has ever written. So if someone who knows about ballads, it's, John it's Bon Jovi. And it's
1: a hard edged ballad. You know, it, it suits Motley Crue. Well,
2: and this is when informed of this, Nikki Six laughed because of the gruesome meaning behind the song. The <laughs> song's about a girlfriend that Nikki Six used to have who he thought cheated on him with Jack Wagner who was a soap opera actor on General Hospital. Oh yeah. And also he also had a song called, and he had a song out called All I Need. And yeah, the rumor, that's
1: where I think I know that guy from.
2: The rumor is that all i need is written about Nikki's ex oh, and no. um so Nikki switched the purpose of the song and wrote this version and gave it to his girlfriend so he had no intention on recording <laughs> it but the best rest of the band loved it and they were like we have to put it on the girls 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 album because
1: it lyrically it really is a deep and dark it's song rough. it's it's it is rough but it's still a damn well-written song
2: so yeah listen to this uh, pretty heavy uh, subject matter for the 80s this is you're all i need by motley Crue.
1: So I put you to sleep.
2: Yeah. So Kiss is singing about having a reason to live, and Molly Cruz is singing about <laughs> killing a girlfriend. So. And it's funny to think back,
1: you know, in a song like that, imagine the uh, the mental picture in the mind of a 12-year-old listening to it's that. It's pretty
2: heavy stuff. And you I mean, know,
1: and it makes me think even further that, you know, in 87, it's different, so much different than today. And everybody says, oh, it was so much better back then. The music was better. Mm-hmm. Here is why I think that is. In 1987, you had to go buy an album or a cassette tape, mm-hmm. you know, and you'd have to you'd wait for that day to come because you knew it was coming. You know, your favorite metal edge magazines or Hit Parader or everything whatever would let you know ahead of time. You'd look forward to the album coming out as yeah. as a young man or young child, you know, or young kid. And then, you know, the day comes when it comes out, and you go to the music store, and you get it, and you're so excited, you know, you can't wait to get it home. And you get home, and you put on your headphones, or you sit down with your buddies, and you play it, and you listen to the whole thing, and you you listen to the lyrics, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a special spiritual kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. That, that connection you, you just don't get anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. How many kids sit down and think about, you know, really think about the lyrics to, you know, My Chemical Romance song?
2: Or Nicki Minaj.
1: Or, or Nicki Minaj, <laughs> or Nickelback, or whatever, you know? But back then with Motley Crue, you know, and Def Leppard and, and Kiss, you know, these albums came out and you anticipated them. Mm-hmm. And when they came, then it was like a special experience when you put it on, you listen to the whole thing. Yeah. And then you put it on and listen to the whole thing again. Yeah, you wore you know, it out because you, you just paid money out. for
2: it. Yeah. Yeah, it was much different back then. I think and, that's uh, the difference. I'm going to burst your bubble about what was good back then compared to now, though. It was October 30th, George Michael released Faith. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Finally, he
1: kicked that freeloader to the side and broke up wham and came up with his own stuff
2: 11 million copies sold jeez and who could forget the freaking video jeez louise that thing got played all the time
1: who's buying this garbage in 1987 11 million people 11 million <laughs> <garbage>. people <laughs> and album were, of the year for the grammy awards yeah. you know there they are you know kicking ass again way to go grammy awards in 1987
2: <laughs> yeah george michael jeez should have been given it to Alice Cooper, who released Raise Your Fist and Yell. I October would rather,
1: 5th. yeah, that would have been uh, much more understandable in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Exodus. They came out with one, uh, Pleasures of the Flesh.
2: Yeah, and uh, or this next one I want to talk about is the uh, the MSG. But Ma- instead of the Michael Schenker Group, they changed it to Macaulay Schenker Group. Right, Macaulay. I wonder if he hired Robin Macaulay just because it still worked as a name.
1: Yeah, you could have got somebody else, but they—they were really a great singer, you know. But they just, you know, you're, talking to his manager. Yeah, does his
2: last name start with an M?
1: No, I'm no. sorry, or, it doesn't. Does his
2: last name start with an M? Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah, and he, Robin McAuley uh, joined up with Michael Shanker. Robin McCauley had a uh, look at the the album cover for this album from back then. Robin McCauley had a what I would call a power mullet.
1: Yeah, he's got the Robert Fleischman going yeah, on. Yeah, he's for got sure. more
2: hair on the top than he does on the back, and. um this album is called Perfect Timing, and uh, you know it, it, they had a, a top one hundred hit with "Give Me Your Love," which you know for Michael Schenker that was pretty good. Um, yeah. you know he never he was more of a guitar player. Right, this guy hero. is
1: known as yeah, you're right, exactly a guitar player's hero, a uh, uh, German Ingve Malmsteen.
2: But you know, the, in this album, <laughs> this song in particular, I loved this song back in '87. And this goes back to how different my perspective is now. Not that it's a bad song now, it's still a well written, well performed song, but it's definitely got 1987 written all over it. Yeah. So check this out. This is MSG with Give Me Your Love.
3: But I can see Tell you something Maybe again I won't Cause now you see me But who knows
2: Production value just scream nineteen eighty seven to you. If you're if you're Michael Schenker, why do you even need a, a keyboard player?
1: Why? I <laughs> mean, that in, doesn't make sense. Well, that always bothered me about the, the split between Van Halen and David Lee Roth. You know, and mm-hmm. the album nineteen eighty four. Damn, man, you're Eddie Van Halen. Why do you need a keyboard?
2: Why? Well, I will you don't s- need it. Yeah, but I, that album though, I'll give that one a pass because he did some pretty amazing stuff with the keyboard in that one.
1: Yeah, I you don't mean, like jump. I mean, of course I like all those songs, but I mean... If I've got Eddie Van Halen in the band or Michael Schenckner in the band, last thing I think I need is a keyboard. Well,
2: you, it could be argued that Eddie Van Halen's the reason that a lot of these bands went to keyboards after yeah, that album was that's so big. True. That that's everyone, true. Everyone followed suit, you know.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Because
2: he certainly was the main influence on the guitar players of that era, for sure. Uh,
1: no doubt about it.
2: But Yeah, so uh, also released some heavier stuff released in October of 87. Sepultura released Schizophrenia, and Armored Saint released Raising Fear. Um, armored
1: saints very, awesome
2: very good band. uh you know john bush uh recently went back to them and uh another uh, uh, overlooked um instrumental album joe satriani released surfing with the alien ah, i used to have that yeah that's a good album uh, moving into november black sabbath released the eternal idol and i know you've made the argument that some of these sabbath albums from this era probably should be more considered tony Iommi. Solo albums.
1: Kind of the same way I consider the Guns N' Roses of today, the Axl, Axl Rose, Rose Band. Band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, That's what it should be. I mean, it's still called Black Sabbath or it's still called Guns N' Roses, but... We all know better. That's the Tony Iommi band. Yeah.
2: One uh, album that came out in uh, November of 87 was Anthrax's I'm the Man, and I wore man, the hell out of that album. Me too,
1: me too. It,
2: it, 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 it actually sounds pretty clichéd now, most of it does, but at the time it was just so different from everything else. And know. it
1: really was. And the, uh, the live version of I Am the Man with all the swearing and the yeah. jokes and stuff on it, at, at 12 years old, you know, that is one of the coolest, most hilarious things I think I'd ever heard in my life. And yeah, mm-hmm. I wore that tape
2: out. Is that and that's the one that had some of the covers on it also, like they had yeah, uh, they did, Sweet uh, Leaf?
1: Uh, was it Sweet Leaf or was it Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath? Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Yeah. Sweetleaf
2: came later. But um yeah, the and then uh, the live the live version of Caught in a Mosh is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, that's pretty awesome too. Um that's the album that really kinda got me into anthrax. Yeah. Because I think it, somebody brought it to me with the, you know, the shock effect of, oh yeah. man, listen to all this swearing, it's so cool, you know, <laughs> and then you actually listen to the rest of it and say, man, this whole thing is killer. And the next thing you know, n- no amount of pencils in the world will bring your cassette tape back from the dead.
2: Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> one of my brother's friends had a copy of that on cassette, and we used to drive around playing because we couldn't listen to it at his house because his mom would have thrown it away. <laughs> <laughs> so you're too young for that. Um Something happened on December 23rd that has been repeated in interviews over and over and over again. Nikki Six suffered a heroin overdose and died and then was revived shortly later.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty well-known story. His
2: favorite story to tell.
1: And then he goes back and shoots up some more.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty... If, if you haven't read The Dirt, check that out.
1: That shows you just how bad heroin is, kids. Do not, do not ever mess with yeah, heroin. Yeah, he,
2: he walked home naked from the hospital, hitched or hitchhiked, and got home and then... Th- the shot up some more
1: this man was dead <laughs> you know you don't get more of a wake-up call than being dead and then coming back to life miraculously yeah you don't just go do it again but luckily for us and everybody else you know Nikki six able to pull out of it and uh doing pretty good for himself today crew's still kicking it out there Touring going to tour. With Kiss. new album coming out yeah Molly crew is awesome I love Molly crew uh
2: Overkill released two albums in 1987. Yeah, they had the
1: uh Fuck You the, I, Fuck th- you the, the EP and then uh Taking Don't talk Over. To me like that I will.
2: <laughs> uh, um what do you remember about the Taking Over album? You picked this one.
1: I remember, let's see. What was the big one off of there? That was uh oh man, what's the name of the song? Um I know there's a ton of good ones on there. Deny the Cross, Wrecking Crew, um power surge i think that's what that's I'd the one pick. we picked for yeah, the show, yeah power surge is a pretty awesome song off there it's hard to pick one because it's just killer and you know overkill they're just kind of getting started at this time but again you know looking back at the uh the roots of thrash metal yeah you know there's a lot of rumbling starting to happen in 87 with bands like this coming out
2: yeah that's the earliest
1: and uh I love Overkill. I consider them one of the thrash pioneers and one of the best bands I ever had the opportunity to, to see live. and good I need song. to give
2: them more of a shot. I mean, a friend of mine's band opened open for them here in Nashville, but I, I've never really dug into their catalog, so I need to give them a chance. But
1: better uh, be careful. They're heavy. <laughs> yeah. Mind yourself. I just
2: remember Welcome to the Gutter is the main thing I remember by then.
1: Yeah. And. Uh, Oh man, what's what's the main song they're known for? I'm drawing a blank now. I always love that's the one I remember. I always love when we do that on the air and I draw a blank. That's like, uh, um, uh, you know, that song. (laughs) Here, just play this one. It's Power Surge by Overkill.
2: Hi, this is Rick Allen's left arm. You're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. I got something to say.
0: The soft taco, the newest great-tasting taco from Taco Bell. Luprin, little, yellow, different, better. The Transformers. Now available Transformers decoys in
3: specially marked packages.
2: Welcome back to the Decimal Geek Podcast. A little Doro Pesh and Warlock for you there.
1: That's a great tune.
2: Talking about 1987, that was the last Warlock album that was released.
1: Yeah, she'd go solo then, right?
2: Yeah, yep. and she's got a new song out now, too, I think. Yeah,
1: I mean. she's still out there making the, uh, it happen, also. The
2: song is pretty good. The video is horrendous. It is? Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> but,
1: um, <laughs> Does it look like it's from 87? Yeah.
2: <laughs> It looks like it was filmed with 1987 equipment. Yeah, nice. it's it's about as low budget as it gets, and So, it's like you know it's retro, man. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's her and her band walking through like a some city, and like there's homeless people singing behind her, and so it's really bad. It must be a, a really good song though. If you're the getting, song's pretty good. Yeah,
1: getting warlock flash mobs. <laughs> but yeah, just uh, <laughs> <with> homeless people. <laughs>
2: right. Warlock flash mob.
1: Uh, I got to tell you, man. I'm liking it here in 1987. I don't think I'm quite ready to go back to 2012 yet.
2: Not yet. A uh, few things were, that we uh, want to touch on before we, that. You know, we did this in chronological order, and we just got through December in the last segment. Go through some. Uh, these were albums that were released in '87, but through the good folks at wikipedia i could not find an actual release date well
1: a lot of times i think the albums that you know they say we don't know what the release date is and you look them up on websites and try to do your homework and stuff mm-hmm. i think these are albums that you know weren't a big deal at the time yeah. but you know in retrospect people kind of have picked them up but, yeah. yeah you know don't know nothing about them at the time
2: uh the meat puppets released Wavos.
1: yeah see uh, like that
2: Kane Roberts, Alice Cooper's was, uh, guitar player. He was the player. big muscle man. Yeah, right? yeah, the Lou Ferrigno looking dude. With the, he had the machine gun guitar. Oh, that guitar was cool. That was a cheesy era for Alice.
1: Uh, Raven released Life's a Bitch. Who would win in a fight, Kane Roberts or the crazy Ultimate Warrior hockey player drummer from Raven?
2: I don't know. That'd be an interesting match. I think Kane Roberts would beat the shit out of him personally, but maybe. Uh, the Plasmatics were still hanging on. They released "Maggots" the record.
1: Wendy O. Williams,
2: as opposed to maggots, the disgusting little bugs that you find.
1: Yes, this was the record. Anvil released
2: <laughs> "Strength of Steel."
1: Anvil, we know how you feel about Anvil.
2: Yeah, let's make an album with uh, the this letter of this letter. <laughs> or this letter and this letter. Zebra, who we uh, talked about on the website, uh, released three point v. Uh, Warlock, who we mentioned, that was their last album, Triumph and Agony. It's a good one. Uh, Juice Newton released an album.
1: Yeah, I was uh, wondering if you were going to mention that. Yeah, well, Juice yeah. Newton. Did you pick that one up in 87? I have the whole disc-
2: discography, <laughs> of course.
1: I bought it why the day I, it came out. Why I was, don't I just make the joke for you? I was in the mall waiting for them to throw the big gates open so I could rush inside and grab Emotion by Juice Newton
2: greatest hits came out that year too yeah
1: yeah i mean that's the only album on the unreleased unknown dates that you actually know the date of because you were there
2: yeah (laughs) first in line
1: number one juice newton fan
2: uh bands that were formed uh your favorite band ace of bass was formed
1: oh yeah no it's ace no it's a different ace but yeah ace of bass oh
2: yeah yeah, Ace What, what was their song
1: joyride or something
2: like I'm not, that i'm not I calling for that one i'm not <laughs> <laughs> you've already got me for juice newton that shit. might
1: be somebody else i don't know but there were some good bands that were forming that year. are talking about like alice in chains and yeah. uh, the Bullet Boys. Yeah. Um, Danzig was doing his thing after, you know, being done with the Misfits for a little while. Yeah, Color Me um, Bad. Dang- color Me Bad, yeah.
2: <laughs> Local uh, Nashville band, Every Mother's Nightmare. Actually That's... actually Memphis band, technically, but they were here for a while, too.
1: Was that the band where it was? they were young kids? Is that what?
2: No, you're thinking of uh, Another Bad Creation, I think. That was a kid's band, right? Oh, ABC. I don't know. No, Every Mother's Nightmare was kind of like a southern rock Southern rock band for eighty seven.
1: I remember them. Her- I can, I, can, I don't know a bunch about them now, but I remember they were good.
2: I remember, and then another a Nashville band, uh, Intruder, which uh, probably more well known in Europe, but they uh, they were had a they had a you know a major label release, and they're from Nashville. I still know the guitar player for that group.
1: A real heavy band, right? Yeah,
2: pretty heavy. Uh, Green Day was formed in eighty seven. Um, oh man, Caius was formed in eighty seven. Caius the,
1: is a great band.
2: Local H. I love Local H too. Nirvana was born in 1987. Yeah, 87. So a lot of people so, don't realize that they go back that far.
1: Right, and you got to remember too that, you know, even though Nirvana was like the uh, figurehead of the alternative rock scene and, and you know, movement mm-hmm. many years down, well, not too many years down the line, but, you know, they were They came out in '87, the same years like Junkyard and, like you said, Caius and mm-hmm. you know the Bullet Boys and Danger, Danger.
2: Yeah, I was going to mention. I mentioned the uh, people that some of the notable people that were born uh, in '87 in Part One, and uh, the, we have to do the deaths now uh included in the death list from 1987 some talented people buddy rich andy warhol and peter tosh died so for that i say fuck you 1987
1: yeah and peter tosh man what a terrible way to go that guy jeez you ever look up that story that's pretty wild a pretty shitty story peter the, tosh was a heck of a guitar player and a reggae you know was part of the whalers yeah, was a Bob big Marley part of the whalers, whalers yeah and uh was murdered in 1987
2: jamaican jamaica's a pretty crazy place
1: yeah i wouldn't want to live there
2: um bands that were disestablished in 1987, Husker Du, Modern English and the Smiths. So for that I say 1987 might have kind of rocked a little yeah, bit.
1: Yeah, you're back on our good side now 1987. Yeah, I
2: don't miss any of those. <laughs>
1: <bands>. <laughs> so we've had a pretty good time here today talking about 1987, wrapping it up from uh, the two-part episode because there's just so much going on in the year in review. We want to, you know, throw it all to everybody, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it um you know so as always we want to let you guys know all the music that we played all the bands that we've talked about you know check it out for yourselves yeah. you know that's why we're here we're trying to like we say make a um a local music scene out of a worldwide audience you guys are the worldwide audience but together we're still a music scene as far as our love for hard rock and heavy metal so get out there support these bands you know check them out on itunes the yep. amazon check out their websites uh, these bands are most, for the most part, are still around, and uh, and, if it, you wanna, you if,
2: and if you want to, if and if you want to pick up some of this stuff through Amazon, we do put Amazon links for all these bands on our on the show notes for this episode. Just go to dbgeekshow.blogspot.com, and you can. Go click a link and go straight to their uh, store.
1: That's right. We're just doing our jobs, turning you guys on to some quality rock and roll.
2: So uh, I'm going to get the playout song for 1987. I'm not
1: ready to go back to 2012 yet. Let's stick around in 87 for a little bit longer, so we can go catch a Kiss concert and see Eric Carr kicking ass.
2: Well, we're going to uh, we're going to go back for the attack. Ah. Released in 1987, Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors by Dawkins from November. We'll see you next week.
0: Remember to check us out at dbgeekshow.blogspot.com, facebook.com slash and Twitter at decibelgeekpod. Also available for free on iTunes and Stitcher Radio,